Thank you so much. So we're in this series, Running with the Giants, and today we're going to be talking about Jonah. Now, Jonah's unique. We had a sermon series about this months ago, and, we, and so if you want to go back and listen to our whole sermon series of the book of Jonah, you can. But when it comes to Jonah, such a unique story because it's different than every other prophet that you read about in the Old Testament. And so just as we start talking about Jonah and we talk about his story, uh, what I want to do is I want to share why we should listen to the story, and, and it may be different, you know, than what you think. Scholars, there are a lot of people way, way, way smarter than me who have all kind of degrees in doctorate after doctorate after doctorate after doctorate, and they're studying and manuscripts, and, and they differ on whether Jonah was either a real prophet. They, they say we know he really existed, and they do know that he was a prophet, but this story, they're saying we can't tell if it was a real event or not because of the way that it's written. And so half of the scholarly world says it's just an allegory meant to lead you toward principles of God. The other half say, no, it's a real story. It really happened. He really was in the belly of a big fish, and, and we need to just accept that. Now, where do you land on that? You're like, well, I didn't even know that it was a question. I didn't know that we could even debate such things. Well, they, they do. And when you get down with serious Bible students, and they're like, your credibility is at stake. I want to know because, and they use the book of Jonah almost like a litmus test. If you think that that's a real story, then I'd second guess everything you want to teach me because I don't know if what you're saying is true or not. Or if you don't believe in it, then you must not believe that the Bible is the infallible word of God. And I don't know that I can trust you as my pastor. And so all of this is real world going on. So just as we begin today, just for the sake of honesty, I'm going to give you one reason why... The book of Jonah is an allegory, it's just a story meant to teach you principles of a great God. And then I'm going to give you one reason why I think the book of Jonah is real and the story is real. Is that okay with you? And then I'll let you decide in your own walk with God, in your own study. Why an allegory? The book of Jonah is written in the language very different than any other book of prophets that you read in the Old Testament. And the poetic nature of how it's written, the language of the book is so over the top that you know, at best, even if it's a real story, it's exaggerated. And, and pretty much everybody's in line with that just because of the way it's written. And so if you were to go and look at it, the, the poetic nature of the book and how it's written and the way that it's written and the things that are said... And, and the progression that follows, uh, then, then you would say, okay, the way that it's written, it's written as a story, as an allegory. Noah, every other prophet wrote their book talking about what God said to God's people. But in this book, Jonah's just talking about himself. Let me, let me, tell, you, let me tell you a story about a man named Jonah. Right? Let me just tell you a story. So there's, there's, there's that reason. Now let me tell you why I think it's a true story. Because Jesus talked about Jonah and Matthew chapter 12, verses 38 through 41. 
And these Pharisees were coming all on Jesus and they're like, we don't know if you're telling us the truth or not. Give us a sign that you are who you say you are. Give us something so that we'll believe you really are the son of God because that's a bit big for us to swallow. And Jesus said, wicked generations like you always are asking for a sign. And I'm not going to give you one except this, the prophet of Jonah. That's just interesting enough that Jesus recognized that Jonah was a real person and a real prophet. And then he went on to say, just as Jesus, just as Jonah was in the belly of a big fish for three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the, in the tomb for three days and three nights. So what Jesus did is he put his resurrection on the same part as Jonah and the fish. Meaning, I don't know that Jesus would say, hey, you know like the story of Jonah's a made-up story about Jonah being in the belly of a big fish? So is the story of my resurrection. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know that if Jesus were trying to prove to people that his resurrection, his life and coming from God is real, that he would use Jonah as that example especially if it were just a made-up story. But actually, that's not even what gets me the most. What gets me the most is verse 41. Because Jesus continued to say, the people of Nineveh will rise up and speak as a judge against you because at least they repented and you won't. I find it unique that he didn't use Jonah as the one who repented. Do you know that Jonah is not found in the hall of faith in Hebrews 11. Because we've been using this scripture here, uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. We've got this huge crowd of witnesses of life of faith. And he says, so let's strip off all the stuff that slows us down, the sin that tangles us, trips us up, and run with perseverance this right set before us. And then the chapter before, he gave all these great men and women who love God, serve God, obeyed God, and are in heaven as this big crowd. And Jonah's name is not listed there. And so we really, whether you believe it's an allegory or whether you believe it's real, do not know how Jonah's life ended. And the way that it ends is you get to decide because it's really not about Jonah. It's about God and you. So, the story about Jonah is a man who made a lot of poor choices. And so let's talk about the principle of the story. For when you feel like you've made a lot of bad choices, how is God gonna react? When you feel like you've made a lot of bad choices, then what? What is your vision of God? Before we get into the book of Jonah, before we get into the story, if you've made a lot of poor choices in your life, the next logical question is, what is God's response to that? How is he going to treat you? What is he going to do? And depending on how you grew up may shape how you view what God's going to do. When I was growing up, my father was a very strict disciplinarian. He softened in grace as he got older. Praise the Lord. I, I'm t I was not the easy, I was a wild child. And I came under my father's wrath a lot. And my vision of God 
was not good. He didn't like me. He wasn't pleased with me. And if he could eliminate me, he would. That was my, that was the way I saw God. But the book of Jonah comes along. And I think one of the things that God wants to teach us is this this morning. For when you feel like you've made poor, bad choices, God always gives you a second chance. And that's good news. There's an outline in the pew rack in front of you and a pen if you want to take some notes and write along. God gives these second chances. He gives us a, it's almost like a do-over. In fact, I really believe that it's only when we repent and turn back toward God does he begin to do his biggest and best work in us. So let's read the story. Just the first five verses of the book of Jonah, chapter 1, verse 1. The Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and announce judgment against it because I've seen how wicked its people are. Woo, that's an understatement. They treated the Israelites horribly. I cannot even describe to you what they did to their women and to the, the women of Israel, the children of Israel. And, and then on top of that, crops, cattle, the nation. It was, they invented these new ways of torturing people that were just awful. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. Jonah's like, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to preach to those people. I'm not going to ask them to change or repent. He went down to the port of Joppa where he found a ship leaving for Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. Okay, that's, that's a poor decision in itself. But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break the ship apart. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help and threw cargo overboard to lighten the ship. All this time, Jonah was sound asleep down in the hold. So Jonah went down to the bottom of the boat, went to sleep. This storm has come up and... Things are going everywhere. They're trying to lighten the ship. They're throwing all the stuff. And Jonah's running away from God. God's displeased. He's trying to stop him. It's not like, you know, Jonah stayed neutral. It's not like, so God says, hey, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh and I want you to preach against it. Now, we're not going to cover this today, so you'll have to go back and look at our series when we talked about this months ago. But Jonah gave a reason why he didn't want to go. He said, because God, I knew that you were a gracious God abounding in love and I did not want you to forgive them that's amazing you know and, and sometimes I hope not in here but there are people who despise others so badly we don't want them to be blessed by God they hurt me so much I hope God never forgives them and don't ask me to go do good to them or to call them into the grace and mercy of God because I do not want God to rescue them for what they did to me. This is rhetorical. Boy, I hope that's not you because that's such a hard thing to carry in your heart. God didn't want Jonah to carry it in his heart and he doesn't want you to carry it in yours. And so one of the questions that I would ask myself right here at the outset is, what do I want to do with the sin that's in my life? How comfortable am I at staying right where I am? 
Or do I want to be pleasing to God? Am I willing and ready to change the direction of my life? So we've asked Jonah to come in today. There is a great crowd of witnesses and, and they're all cheering you on. And regardless, I don't even know the seat in which Jonah sits in, but I've asked him if he would just come and share his story today. And so if Jonah were to walk in this door and walk up on stage and share his story with you, what would he say? And so I just made some things that I think Jonah would say. And the first thing I think Jonah would say is, there's this progression. If your life is headed down a road that's not good and you know it, and you're making poor decisions and you want to stop, here are three things, and one follows the other. The first one is this. You've got to take responsibility for your bad choices. You just you have to begin by just saying, I was wrong. In Jonah chapter 1, verse 12, they had ended up casting lots and they found out it was on Jonah, and they're like, Jonah, what did you do? And he said, Throw me into the sea, and it will become calm again. I know that this terrible storm is all my fault. When, uh, when you're with someone who they know that they've done wrong, they've, they're now caught, how hard is it to get people to admit it? I mean, if somebody's sitting down with you and, uh, and they're like, okay, I, I know that you did it and we need to talk about it. Is that like a nightmare conversation or, or, or does that conversation sound like this? You're exactly right. It's all my fault. I mean, that's just the beginning point because this is difficult it's, it's not easy just to admit. I can remember I was, uh, I was like 10 years old, and um, there were four kids, my parents, in a, in a preacher's home in Quitman, Georgia, and my parents had a bathroom in the back, but the four of us kids had to share one bath, and, uh, and so we would go and we would uh, take our bath or our shower or whatever, and mom would always ask me, did you wash your hair? I was a little boy, and I didn't always like to wash my hair. And, I, and so I said, yes, I did wash my hair. I did not know that my mom could go over and just, instead of kissing me on the top of my head, she would just smell. And she'd like, no, you did not wash your hair. So go wash your hair. Well, somebody's, my sister's in the bathroom. Well, go to the sink in the kitchen and, and, and wash your hair. So... She told me to do it. I didn't do it. And um, right before bed, you know, she came over and she said, Ricky, did you wash your hair? Yes, ma'am. Did you really? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What did you, what did you use to get the, the shampoo out of your hair? I used a handle glass. I can remember it like it was yesterday. We had these glasses that they had this handle, and I'd put my hand through the handle, and that's how I would drink it. And I told her that I filled it up, and I'd use the handle glass to get the shampoo out of my hair. And, 
And I kept on and on, and I would not admit it. I would not admit it. I can smell your hair. You did not wash your hair. There's still dirt in it from when you were playing in the sand, and it stinks. And I would not admit it. I just, I, w- I don't know why. I just had so much pride. I would not admit it. But then my mom did this unusual thing. I can remember it. I can remember where I was sitting on the edge of that bed, and she was in front of me, and she just kneeled down, and she was just crying. And she said, I'm going to go back to the kitchen. I have some chores to do. I want you to sit here. And if you really washed your hair, and that's really the truth, then okay. But if it's not, I would like for you to come and tell me. I want to hug you for telling me the truth. She got up and she walked out. I didn't know what to do. I'm just sitting on the edge of the bed. I just don't want a spanking. But the rules changed. She's not, she's not looking to give me a spanking. She's looking for me to speak truth. I don't know why at that I couldn't do it. I bet I sat there for 30 minutes or more. It seemed like all night. And I finally got up and I went in the kitchen, you know, and I told her I lied. And she gave me a big old hug and uh, quoted, you know, the truth will set you free. Told me she loved me, helped me wash my hair. And I went to bed. And something changed in me that it's almost like I might do a little wrong, I might do a lot of wrong, and I might see how much I can get away with it, but if I'm ever confronted like that again, I'm just going to tell the truth. And if I suffer, I suffer. And from that time on, that's how I've tried to live my life. That, I think, is just a big deal. How hard does somebody have to work to get you just to say, it's all my fault. I did it. I love this, Proverbs 28, verse 13. A man who refuses to admit his mistakes can never be successful. Just let that sit in your heart. But if he confesses and forsakes them, he gets another chance. That's a good amen right there. Isn't that good news? Man, God's not looking to spank you. He's looking for the truth to come out of your mouth so he can embrace you. That's just number one. So here's the second one. Jonah's talking to us. He's like, man, the first thing you got to do is take responsibility. The second thing is you got to repent. Repent and turn away from the bad choice you made. So it's, it's great to say, yep, that's what I did. But at some point, it's got to move you to where you want to change. Honesty is great, but it's not enough. At some point, we have to say, now, now repentance. I'm going down this road, and I don't care what anybody thinks about it. And at some point, it's like this no longer works for me. I can't do this anymore. I turn around, and I start going in the opposite direction. I make a decision. I don't want to do that. The things I used to do, I don't do them anymore. And I make, a, I make a change. Jonah chapter 2 verse 9. 
Jonah said, but I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise and fulfill all my vows. Wow. That's, I'm, I'm no longer going to run away. I'm no longer going to run away from the call of God. I'm no longer going to run away from my commitments. I'm no longer going to lie and cover and hide all those secrets of the things that I'm doing that's breaking my vows. From now on, I want to love God. I want to serve Him, praise Him, fulfill all my vows for my salvation comes from the Lord alone. Wow, that is so good. I want to repent. I want to change. I want to act differently. I want to be different. I want my wife to know she can trust me. I want my kids to know that they can trust me. I want to be faithful to God. One day, I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And I can't do that if I'm continuing to walk down the wrong path and I'm comfortable staying there. Acts chapter 3, verse 19. Now, repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. Oh, my goodness. That is such a good thing. And today, I'm calling you to that. It's, It's such a hard thing to admit, humble yourself, and then repent. I, don't, I no longer want to do that. I can remember the first time my dad ever said, I don't ever desire to intentionally sin again. I was a teenager, and I remained quiet because what was going on in my head is, I cannot say that. I just, I couldn't say it. I had, I'm going to reveal this to you for the first time. I had pot hidden in my car for my next drug deal. And I could not say, I don't ever want to sin again. I could have, but it would have been a lie. Because I knew where I was going. And I knew what I was going to do. The whole time, God is rooting you on. You can do this. Stop, change, let me embrace you with a different life. So I think Jonah would call us to that, and then that's, even that's not enough. It's, it's, Isaiah 1 said it this way, stop doing wrong and start doing right. And Isaiah 1 is a perfect picture of my mother in those days and what God is really doing, because people were sinning so badly that God... They, they weren't, they weren't talking to God. He couldn't be around all their sin. And he said, even if you pray to me multiple times, I can't listen because your hands are full of so much blood. You're so much sin that it's, it's blocking me being able to get to you. And then it's as if God just kneeled down just like my mom did. And he said these words, come now, let's reason together. For though your sins are like scarlet, they'll be as white as snow. It's almost like when, when you're ready to admit the truth, come, because I'm not wanting to spank you. I want to embrace you. Number three, embrace God's grace. Jonah would say, embrace it. Jesus is calling, you know, in Revelation, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If you'll just open up to me, I will abide with you. God wants us to embrace his grace. Jonah chapter 3, verse 1. Such a simple sentence, and yet it speaks everything. Then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. Can you believe that? Here Jonah thinks that he's in this belly of his big fish, and it's his deathbed. 
And so he's saying, God, I want to worship you with the day that I have left. I want to worship you. I want to finally keep my vow to you. I want to give you my life. And to his surprise, he's spit up with seaweed hanging in between his teeth on dry land. And now he's like, okay, well, I blew that. I guess God's done with me. And then the Bible comes, surprise, surprise. The Lord comes and speaks to Jonah a second time. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God, and there we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. I just, I love that. Let's come boldly to the throne of grace. Come boldly. Man, when I was growing up, I, I was in a, you know, my dad was real conservative, and I was in a little old church, 80 people in the church. And at the end of a sermon, maybe you grew up like this too, and I'll have you raise your hand and tell me here if you, if you did. To, you know, in a little A-frame building, and, and the preacher would be preaching, rawr, 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 turn or burn, and it was, rawr, rawr, and it was hell and brimstone. And I'm like, you know, I'm just as a kid, I didn't even wash my hair with a handle glass. You're gonna go to hell. You need to repent and be baptized. Everybody, you know, Jesus, come while we stand and sing. And everybody would stand up, and they would sing a hymn. Oh, why not tonight? Why not tonight? And everybody would sit and they'd be looking around, see if anybody's going to go forward. And every now and then, well, while everybody's standing, somebody would walk up front and everybody nudge each other. Did you see that? Sister so-and-so went front. And then we couldn't wait for the song to be over so we could hear the gossip of what they were confessing. You probably never grew up in a church like that, but I did. <laughs> This is what God is saying. I'm not asking you to come and embarrass yourself in front of a bunch of people. This is not about what they think and it's not even about your sin. And I'm not wanting you to hide your head in shame. Oh, woe is me. Thank you, Lord. May I please have another? You come boldly to the throne of grace. God already knows what you did. And just walking up to the front... He can't wait to run to you. It's no longer about what you've done. It's about what he's going to do in you. You come boldly to the throne of grace. And there you will receive everything you've always wanted. The grace and mercy of a loving God. At the end of this message... I'm going to ask you to join me in that. And I'm not going to ask you to come to the front while we stand and sing. He'll hear you right where you are. But I'm going to call you to release your sin and embrace a God who loves you. Jonah, you have any last words for us? Yeah, I think before I leave, I want to say this. Don't let your bad choices define you. They'll just stick with you. They'll stay in you. They'll define you, and, and you'll give up hope. You won't keep running after God. If you just get stuck right there, you'll feel very comfortable week after week after week just being who you are. God didn't call you to that. He called you to more. Don't let your poor choices define you. Therefore, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let God wash away your sin. There's no condemnation. Let him say to you, you belong to me. You're a child of the king.
Don't be defined by your past. One of the best things I love about this church is none of us are remembered for who we used to be. <laughs> Amen. Right? No, you are not known for the worst things about your life. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's not about wallowing and seeing everybody gossiping about it. It's about, man, what are we going to do for God now? Number two, don't let our bad choices disqualify you. If, if God, if anybody were going to be disqualified, it would be me. I don't, I don't, I'm not proud of who I've been and who I was and what I did. But you would have to be very bad to be worse than what I was. And it's not a, a contest to the bottom. Who's worse than the other? Let's see, raise your hand if you ever murdered somebody, right? It's not about what you're, the worst thing you ever did. But don't let it disqualify you either. God is going to raise you up and give you a new life. I took you out of the Murray clay and set you on solid ground. I put a new song in your mouth. And really, I believe that God will never use you in a powerful way until you've already gone through all that other stuff. And then he can use you because you know, I don't deserve to be here. It's not about me. It's all about the loving embrace of God. Romans 8, 28, we all know that in all things, God worked for good to those who love him and been called according to his purpose. Man, God wants to redefine your life. And then number three, this is the big challenge. I think Jonah would say, the seat that I'm in now, this one, don't ever become comfortable with your sin. Don't ever become comfortable with it. We don't know how Jonah ends because he's still pouting he still doesn't want God to forgive the Ninevites. He still won't embrace the things of God. He still stayed right where he was, and his book ends. We would love to be able to say, I guarantee you the Hebrew writer would have loved to have said, and can I tell you about Jonah? But we don't know. But Hebrew says, so strip off everything that will slow you down and get rid of your sin and don't get comfortable with it. I, you know, here you go. Uh, so uh, there's this show called The Bachelorette. <laughs> I, I've not watched any of them. Yay! Um. Uh, what drama that is. So I was, I was watching the news the other day, and they start talking about The Bachelorette. I'm like, there's nothing real about that show. Or if it is, I don't, I, I don't like it. I just, I don't, we don't watch those at our house. I, you know, a bunch of people love it, and they love the drama and all that kind of stuff. But here's a picture. So that's Hannah, and that's Luke. And so Luke is a born-again Christian, and he's a virgin, and he's saving sex till marriage. And he revealed that to Hannah early on in the show. And so uh, now every time they show Luke, uh, this, no, this is just what I heard. You may say, Rick, you have no idea what you're talking about. But, you know, they, they, they try to make Luke the bad guy. So every time he was yelling at somebody or throwing daily meat in his lap, they're, you know, they're showing it, and everybody's like, boo, boo, Christians. You're so weird, <laughs> right? And at the very end, he's apparently made it to the top four. Is the show over? 
Not yet. Thank you. See, that's someone who does not mind confessing, you know, there. <laughs> Praise the Lord. But Luke was kicked off. And then what's the big thing is this, what's going on now. All the media keeps talking about it. This is what they were talking about on the news channel is that it's how, how you view sin. This is what it said. Sparks flew Monday night on the fantasy sweet week episode of The Bachelorette between star Hannah Brown and Luke Parker. Fantasy suites. At the end of the show, they're down to three or four people and she'll invite them to spend the night with her. And then she can do whatever they want and they close the door and the cameras aren't rolling. So he wants to make sure that they're on the same page because early in the program, he said he was saving sex for marriage. She told him that she wanted to do the same thing, apparently. And they're like, okay, are we on the same page with faith and family or not? And she said to him, the closest thing to love at first sight was probably with you. And she, and, and so Brown admitted at Parker's final episode, and he thought the two were on the same page. But the 24-year-old called Luke P. on the show, quickly found out he had broken her heart with each episode leading up to this dramatic moment when she flipped him off as he exited the show. Guess what? She said, sex might be a sin out of marriage, but pride is a sin too, and I feel like this is a pride thing, and I have finally gotten clarity on you, and I do not want you to be my husband. Parker asked if he could have a minute with her, but she said, nope, and then she confessed to him she had sex in a windmill with contestant Peter Weber, not once, but twice. I have had sex and Jesus still loves me. But the few didn't in there, it spills over into social media. He wrote this, the difference is how we view our sin. I'm weeping at mine and you're laughing at yours. All sin stings and my heart hurts for both of us. He might be the biggest jerk for those of you watching the show. I don't know. But that grabbed me. And she responded back. Time and time again, Jesus loved and ate with sinners who laughed. Time and time again, he rebuked saints who were judging. Where do you fall, Luke? And he said back, there's a difference between eating with sinners who laugh and sinners who laugh at their sin. That's the very thing that put Jesus on the cross. It's not a laughing matter. My heart hurts for her. I, would, I didn't want to shame her. In our conversation, my heart was never to judge or condemn Hannah. It was simply about making a decision for myself and what I expect in our relationship, our conversations, and our beliefs that led me to believe we were on the same page about sex. For me, it wasn't about getting a rose. It was always about finding a wife who would choose me every day as I would choose her. I made mistakes. I'm not perfect. And I did not represent Christ the way I thought I was prepared to. And that has broken me. I just find that, I just find it interesting that we live in a world where people don't want to admit their sin. And as soon as someone calls them on it, they want to go, oh yeah, claim victim and blame everybody else. Do you see that going on a lot around us? What about you? When it comes to you and your sin, does it break your heart or do you find yourself blaming others? Today, right now, 
Jonah would probably have a lot to say about us, about the consequences of sin, final choices, and eternity. All I want to say is, I don't want you so comfortable in your sin that you're willing to walk out of here with it. I want to ask you to leave it right here, just at the foot of the cross, in the presence of Jesus. I want to ask you to give your sin to God to repent of it and to change are you ready to have that prayer